This video is brought to you by Blessed Be God Boutique, maker of Catholic fashionable apparel, handmade accessories, and more. Most of the news in the church these days seems focused on issues like Francis's health, rumors about new bishops being made for traditional priestly fraternities, much to the ire and consternation of the papal popesplainers who demand that everybody submit to the new order in the church with no questions asked. As well as secular news that, that absolutely impacts the life of Christians in the church, even if those stories are not on the surface related to Catholic faith, news personalities suddenly losing their high-profile positions in what had at one time been considered friendly news outlets, that sort of thing. But, this, but an interesting story broke last week that was ignored almost completely, including by myself due to the tornado that hit my town eliminating my internet, and I still don't have internet, by the way, as the time that I'm recording this. Getting this uploaded requires some creative gymnastics when you don't have internet, and it, it has made covering the news difficult. And many of those issues are still in effect here. Like I said, no internet. But the story is about Francis's never-ending synod on synodality. A synod is a meeting of the church where certain topics are discussed without quite the magisterial weight that an ecumenical council would have. A synod can also be a meeting of the church in a particular country, like various synods have been in the past. But since Vatican II, the modernists running the church have given the church synod after synod after synod in an attempt to create a permanent atmosphere of change in the church, really giving the words of Pope John the Twenty-Third about the need for a permanent aggiornamento, real new life. Aggiornamento meaning a permanent atmosphere of change or spirit of revolution in the church. A synod can also be a meeting of the church, though, in a particular country, like various synods in the past, but since Vatican II, the modernists running the church have given the church just endless synods in an attempt to well, at a, keep that permanent atmosphere of change going in the church. The story that broke was that Bishop Athanasius Schneider sat down with Catholic Family News for an interview, and I have the excerpts from that interview here for you today. Bishop Schneider does something that would have been considered unthinkable a short time ago. He admits that the nature of the church has changed since the council, that the various synods, including the present never-ending synod on synodality, have been used as instruments for crafting a different church. And it's worth reminding ourselves here. Most of the people talking about the Synod have never defined what it is, including the Vatican. What we can gather is, on paper officially, the Synod on Synodality is supposed to facilitate dialogue and listening, and listening to the movements of the Holy Ghost about where the Church needs to go, by facilitating conversation between the laity and the ordained in the Church. That's it. But every report from around the world has shown that people are using the Synod on Synodality try to force change onto the church, to make the church more secular. Essentially, a betrayal of the faith. Now, in the first question, Catholic Family News asks Bishop Schneider about the historic roots of synods, which are traced in the modern church to Vatican II in an act by Paul VI to give bishops a greater sense of power and role in the church as a collective body in order to reap what Paul VI thought of as the fruits of Vatican II in perpetuity. As Bishop Schneider points out, this is an issue of who has supreme authority in the church. Synods have had the consequence of blurring the lines of authority between bishop and pope, for example, which has caused greater and greater confusion in the church. So here's our first lengthy quote from Bishop Schneider talking about this permanent atmosphere of change and how it breaks from the historic reality of the faith and how the church was governed in history and how it leads to confusion. Quoting Catholic Family News. The Synod of Bishops instituted by Pope Paul VI in 1965 
as a permanent structure or an advisory council of bishops on the universal level of the church is indeed a novelty in the entire history of the church. The underlying theoretical base for this new structure is the doctrine found in Vatican II document Lumen Gentium, according to which there are two permanent supreme subjects or agents in the governing of the universal church, meaning the Pope alone and the College of Bishops with the Pope. Such a doctrinal affirmation is ambiguous. Although the so-called preliminary note of explanation attached to Lumen Gentium gave an explanation to avoid an erroneous opinion, there nevertheless remains room for diverging interpretations. The idea that there are two holders of the supreme power in the church does not correspond to the constant teaching of the magisterium of the church. The collegial character of the episcopate was manifested throughout history in the practice of assemblies or synods for the aim of defending the integrity of the faith, morals, and discipline. Typically, they were held only when there was a real need, on the local, regional, and with the approval of a pope on the universal level. Our Lord Jesus Christ instituted Peter as the only supreme personal shepherd of his entire flock, including both clergy and faithful. Peter is also the only rock upon which Christ built his church. There are not two rocks or two supreme shepherds, i.e. a personal rock and on, on his side and a collegial rock, or a personal supreme subject, shepherd, and on his side a collegial supreme shepherd. Pope Leo XIII expressed this constant doctrine of the church regarding the matter as follows, quote, We must note that the due order of things and their mutual relations are disturbed if there be a twofold magistracy of the same rank set over the people, neither of which is amenable to the other. But the authority of the Roman pontiff is supreme, universal, independent, that of the bishops limited and dependent. It is not congruous that two superiors with equal authority should be placed over the same flock. Cardinal Charles Journet gave the following masterly explanation. The bishops taken collegially by virtue of a straight union participate in the universal jurisdiction, which remains in its own place within the sovereign pontiff. They jointly exercise with him the acts of the supreme jurisdiction. The supreme and universal jurisdiction resides entirely first in the sovereign pontiff. It communicates from there at the Episcopal College, which is united to him. A bit like life, which is first of all in the heart, communicates itself from there to the whole organism. It can be exercised either only by the sovereign pontiff, either by him in solidarity with the Episcopal College dispersed in the world, meaning the ordinary magisterium, or assembled in a council, a solemn magisterium. It is unique, but has two residences. One owned in the sovereign pontiff, the other participated in the, in the episcopate taken collegially. It would be more precise theologically to speak of the different modes of the exercise of one supreme power in the church, meaning the personal mode by the pope alone, which is the ordinary way of governing the church, and the collegial mode, when the pope formally associates to the supreme acts of governing and teaching also the College of Bishops. The pope is not strictly bound to associate in a permanent way the College of Bishops in the acts of the supreme governance. Even though the Episcopate has a collegial character according to the divine constitution of the Church, the Pope must be free to decide the modes, circumstances, and frequency of such collegial acts, which depend on historic circumstances and the concrete needs of the time. A teaching which claims there is on the one side of the Pope another permanent subject of supreme power as a collegial organ, even though presided over and governed by the Pope, restricts in some way the freedom of the Pope, and makes him feel obliged to permanently involve the entire Episcopate in the supreme governing of the Church. The term synod, chosen by Paul VI, also contains some amb ambiguity since the expression sacra synodus, the sacred synod, is also an official de designation of an ecumenical or general council. End lengthy quote. What he's saying here is you're getting a confusion of power in the church. That power, that the 
when you have elevated artificially the authority of the bishops, you are splitting and twisting that power in the church. That it creates ambiguity about authority, and frankly, the bishops don't have the authority that the sacred synod has given them. Now, later, Schneider is asked about some of Francis's remarks about the need for a permanent synod and how such a move requires new structures in the church and reforms of the existing institutions in order to facilitate dialogue between laity and the hierarchy. Francis has said that in order to achieve this, it is required that, quote, certain overly vertical, distorted, and partial visions of the church and priestly ministry, the role of the laity, ecclesial responsibilities, role of governance, and so forth, be reformed, be changed into something new. Among the people Francis quoted in that address was Yves Congar, a suspected modernist heretic from just before the council, one who was made a cardinal by John Paul II, by the way, in 1994, a year before Congar passed in 1995. Congar once famously quipped that the modernists didn't need to leave the church, but that instead they needed to create a different church within the Catholic Church. Essentially, the man made a cardinal by John Paul II, who was suspected of being a heretic in the years before the council, openly advocated for changing the faith entirely. Bishop Schneider responds to this by this question by affirming that Francis is insinuating that the understanding of what the church is under Francis is new, and is a break from Catholic understandings of what the Catholic Church is historically. In other words, in plainer language, he's affirming that what we have here is essentially a new religion, going back to Congar, and the quote from Congar proves it. Quote, Such formulations of Pope Francis in the quotation of Father Yves Congar insinuate a substantial change in the understanding of church and of the life of the Catholic Church. It presupposes that the Catholic Church over the course of 2,000 years had a distorted and partial vision of the church, and that only with Pope Francis in the, quote, synodal way is the church able to arrive at a correct theological understanding of herself. The use of the words, quote, overly vertical by Pope Francis is ambiguous as well as tendentious. Something is vertical or it is not vertical. There cannot be something half vertical or one quarter vertical. Such figures would be a distortion and a caricature of the natural meaning. When something is not utterly vertical, it loses its stability and becomes distorted. God established his church as a hierarchical body. When the law of verticality is not observed in a body, i.e. if the command center of the brain is damaged or disregarded, then the body will suffer confusion and detriment. The criticism of the principle of verticality in the body of the church, which Pope Francis is doing, is undermining the divine constitution of the church and amounts to yielding to the mundane spirit of competition between the members of a body, something about which St. Paul has warned us. In a body, there are a virtue of its natural constitution substantially different parts. Some are more visible and responsible for governing, while others are more hidden and in need of governance. God gave to his church a clearly vertical constitution. Quoting 1 Corinthians here, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, and third teachers. Regarding those whom God has appointed to positions of authority, Pope Leo XIII taught, Quote, These then are the duties of a shepherd to place himself as a leader at the head of his flock, to provide proper food for it, to ward off dangers, to guard against insidious foes, to defend it against violence, and a word to rule and govern it. The mutual collaboration between the hierarchy, the vertical line, and the mystical body, and the lay faithful was always taught by the magisterium of the church, and is not a discovery of the current quote synodal path. The following quotation for Pope Pius XII can surely be deemed to be a quote distorted version of the church. Quoting Pius XII, One must not think, however, that this ordered or organic structure of the body of the church contains only hierarchical elements and with them is complete, or as an opposite opinion holds, that is composed only of those who enjoy charismatic gifts. 
though members gifted with miraculous powers will never be lacking in the church, that those who exercise sacred power in this body are its chief members, must be maintained uncompromisingly. It is through them, by commission of the divine Redeemer himself, that Christ's apostle and his teacher, king and priest, is to endure. At the same time, when the fathers of the church sing the praises of this mystical body of Christ, with its ministries, its various, its variety of ranks, its officers, its conditions, its orders, its duties, they are thinking not only of those who have received holy orders, but of all those too who, following the evangelical councils, pass their lives either actively among men or hidden in the silence of a cloister, or who aim at combining the active and contemplative life according to their institute, as also those who, living, though living in the world, consecrate themselves wholeheartedly to spiritual and corporal works of mercy, and of those in the state of holy matrimony. Indeed, let this be clearly understood, especially in our days, fathers and mothers of families, those who are godparents through baptism, and in particular those members of the lady who collaborate with the ecclesiastical hierarchy in spreading the kingdom of the divine redeemer, occupy an honorable, if often a lowly place in the Christian community. And even they, under the impulse of God with his help, can reach the heights of supreme holiness, which Jesus Christ has promised will never be wanting in the church. End quote. In other words, what Bishop Schneider's talking about here is pointing out that this is an artificial elevate, elevation and an artificial means of smashing the naturally hierarchical nature of the church. This is what I mean when I talk about democratization of the church, that they're trying to elevate people, bring people up to the same level as the sacred ministers, and in so doing destroy the natural distinctions between the bishops and the priests and the lay people. And that is what is the goal here. This is something the modernists have spoken at length about historically. Essentially, this is them conceding or 100% agreeing with and endorsing the things said by Luther and others about the how the laity themselves are priests, and not just in the sense that the church has always talked about these things, but in such a way that the ministers must come from the laity itself, that there are no real ministers in the church. That is the, ascension, the essential lesson here from what the modernists are saying. And I know that a lot of what Bishop Schneider has said there is kind of high level. But remember, we're talking about a church-wide meeting that is being used to create the illusion, because it really is an illusion, that the laity have the authority to make demands on the church beyond, please teach the faith. Essentially, your real demand on the church that you can make is that to remind the shepherds to do their jobs. That What we're seeing is something going beyond that artificially destroying those distinctions. But it's an illusion because what they're doing is using the laity to push for their continual and evil changes in the church without end. So let me know what you thought of this in the comments, please. And apologies for my voice. Uh, yes, I'm sick. <laughs> I have a cold. Anyway, let me know what you thought of this in the comments, please. Like and subscribe if you haven't. It does help. As does sharing this on social media. That helps a lot, too. As always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.